Hello and welcome to From Dublin to Cleveland. I'm your host, Brendan Thomas Merritt. Uh, a very happy belated Thanksgiving to those of you who celebrate it, and uh, an equally warm welcome to those of you who don't. Um, so as some of you may have already seen, uh, Dublin has been in the news quite a lot since Thanksgiving Thursday, but uh, there wasn't a lot of Thanksgiving going on. So I'm going to share just some thoughts that I have on uh, that particular series of instances on uh, what really became an impossible day here in Ireland. So uh, the morning began at work, as it normally does. <laughs> um, you know, the photocopier jammed as it always does. Um, not enough computers for teachers to print from. The normal kind of routine office drama. And uh, <laughs> I was on standby that morning. I'm a senior teacher, so I don't always have classes. But when I do, I cover classes across different campuses. And uh, an email came through to all of us in our school, in our particular campus, saying that donuts had been left in the teacher's kitchen. Well, I was very, very excited because <laughs> all the other teachers were in the classroom. So I thought, oh, yeah, great. I get first dibs. So I ran into the kitchen, you know, rummaged through all the counters, all the presses, all the drawers, even the bin. Could not find this box of donuts anywhere. And then I wondered, oh, maybe they're in the teacher's workspace, which I'd already been in. So I came back, scoured the place, couldn't find any. <laughs> and uh, the next thing I knew, another email came through saying, oh, sorry, wrong campus. <laughs> you know the meme of like, you know, the, the guy in the, what is it, a purple um, shirt, maybe a pink anorak or something. And he's very sassy, like, <laughs> strutting his stuff and looking fed up and frustrated. Uh, that meme, I can confirm, was sent to the manager of the other campus. <laughs> and, you know, we were all kind of joking, saying, oh, we need to rebel, we need a revolution. Uh, we should go on strike for donuts. You know, not a pay rise, not more holiday days, but uh, food, bad, unhealthy food. And then we got to the afternoon class. And uh, about two o'clock in the afternoon, outside my window, I was teaching the afternoon. An absolute battalion of sirens blasting the eardrums out of a lot of us. Across the road from our school, there's a Gwail school, which is a school where everything is taught through the Irish language. And we looked out the window and there was a stream of squad cars from the Garda Síochána, um, our police force, um, as well as uh, firefighters, brigades, um, sorry, ambulances even. Um, so none of us really knew exactly what was going on at the time, but it turned out that um, an Algerian who had been in the country for about 20 years or so um, walked up to the primary school and uh, he was there as the little children were finishing school for the day and he stabbed three of them, um, five and six-year-olds, as well as um, 
a 30-year-old, one of the school's carers, one of the workers there. And uh, I do know one of the five-year-olds um, and her mother as well. So uh, I don't want to exploit that relationship for a podcast um, reasons. I think it would be emotionally incontinent and relationally insincere. So I'll leave it at that. But I did know one of the victims. Um, but to their credit, the bystanders and, and the parents and um, even other individuals who were nearby took down the assailant. Um, and uh, he was briskly apprehended. Um, and he was taken to hospital for injuries as well. Um, so the three children were sent to the hospital. We have a hospital just around the corner, um, as was the worker. And the school, as, as news spread about who one of the victims was, there was great, great sadness and a sense of, of grief um, and heartache for a, even for a colleague throughout the school. So the school shut early and it wasn't a conducive environment for the teachers to continue doing their jobs and as word kind of began spreading around the students as well they also took it pretty badly because they knew the member of staff who was directly affected so as i was leaving the school um, i noticed um the media were already at, at the crime scene um it had been cordoned off with white tape and the Garda Shiakana were there. But other people were beginning to walk down, probably to stand, you know, peacefully protesting and to offer some degree of solace or support. Even though it can be very hard to know what to say in those situations, there is still the power of presence. Just in the, the grieving and the scared knowing that you're there offering support in the only way you know how to do. So about five o'clock, um, things kind of began taking a turn for the worst. Um, certain individuals came along and uh, allegedly um, began shouting, you know, kick them out or send them home, those kind of comments. Uh, and of course, you know, the mainstream media being what it is, Obviously, these people had to be far-right with their far-right racist Nazi slurs. Um, and by the time the evening had really settled in, the city had gone nuts. Um, one of the Lewises, uh, the Lewis for us, is um, a, a tram that goes through the city centre, um, was torched. Um, some Dublin buses were set on fire, they're double-deckers. Um, a Garda squad car was set on fire. Um, people were running around um, looting, stealing from um, clothes shops, stealing shoes. Um, there were instances of um, fireworks and rocks um, being thrown at the Garda Shiakana. Um, and uh, all around the city, the place looked like a, a, a war zone, um, which in Ireland nowadays is very 
uncommon, a very uncommon sight. And there was, I would say, not everyone would agree, um, some people are too yoked to their um, own way of thinking, but from what I've seen, I would say that there was a lot of nuance on the streets those days, um, on the Wednesday and then spilling, everything was light into the Friday, it mostly calmed down, but the sentiment was still there in the air. You had some people who genuinely were peacefully protesting, um, just absolutely horrified that such a thing had happened. You had other individuals who, yeah, probably really don't like immigrants. <laughs> I mean, listen, racism is a wicked, horrible, evil thing, but it's always existed. You're going to see it everywhere you go, to some degree. Um, is it a prevalent thing in Ireland? No, our national motto is Cade Mila Falcha, which means 100,000 welcomes. It's why people absolutely love coming here. And they love having the crack. They love, you know, Irish pub culture, getting around Irish locals. Um, you had other individuals who are probably already thugs and opportunists, and they saw the opportunity um, while there was so much distress and distraction um, to use their pseudo-moralism. Um, you know, oh, we're totally here for the children. Um, but actually, they exploited the distraction on, on the guards' part to steal, to loot, destroy people's private property, which there's no need for whatsoever. Um, and then I would say perhaps the main sentiment in the air was um, a reaction, albeit a very strong and unwisely enacted one. Um, against illegal immigration. We have a coalition government at the minute um, who are basically uh, colluding with illegal immigrants um, who come here as asylum seekers or refugees, but who somehow had a passport to get on airplanes in their country, yet somehow lost them or dropped them down the toilet mysteriously by the time that they arrive. And uh, they're telling airport staff, oh, let them in, they're totally here because they need housing, while we ourselves have a housing crisis, which the government is in uh, no short capacity responsible for. Um, and then genuine refugees, genuine asylum seekers, and the faux ones, the illegal ones, um, are then given you know, free housing, and by free I mean taxpayer-funded, as well as medical cards and all their needs taken care of. So there has been a growing sentiment across the nation for a very, very long time that open borders do not work, that our government despise us. Um, and by us, I don't just mean native-born Irish, I mean all legal, legitimate Irish citizens, including new Irish. Um, and that um, they are colluding to destroy the country with foreign powers that despise the West. Um, do I think the Western world is absolutely riddled with sleeper cells? You bet I do. And I do believe the USA and Europe in particular are going to have to contend with that sooner rather than later. Um, but I think 
while when some people began hearing, okay, he's the attacker of the children was Algerian. Um, I think some people probably thought, okay, the sleeper, the sleeper cell invasion has begun. And maybe they convinced themselves that they were taking a preeminent strike against it. Um, why that involved torching a, a Garda squad car and attacking Garda? Couldn't tell you. Um, but possibly, because there have been instances reported um, on people's phones and social media and the news of um, the Gardaí actually helping um, move these refugees and asylum seekers, legitimate and illegitimate, um, into people's villages, towns, and communities, and not allowing um, for reasonable consultation or demonstrations against these moves. Uh, in many instances, they aren't women and children who are coming off these buses and being given this accommodation, but uh, fighting age men. And you know what? Then you also just had some individuals who got probably overly excited or overly emotional who were genuinely there, absolutely disgusted um, that what the vast majority of the nation, recent polls show, know is a problem, has been allowed to be ushered in and exacerbated to the point where um, three children got stabbed outside of school who were ages five and six. Um, now, the causation and correlation, everything at this minute in time is just alleged um, or um, speculation. Um, no reason has been given yet for why he did what he did, uh, at least no concrete reason. But in the moment, people obviously made uh, those connections, or at least a certain number of people did. So, yeah, there is a lot of nuance as to what happened in the streets of Dublin, but uh, the government and their complicit media allies here and abroad um, were very quick to say, oh, Ireland's got a big far-right problem. You know, they're fascists, they're Nazis. I work in Dublin. Let me assure you, your average Dubliner is not politically literate enough to even know the difference between those words. Even Dubliners I work with, um, and know very well, or who would have political conversations with, don't actually know the difference between capitalism, socialism, Marxism, communism, um, corporate capitalism, you know, when corporativism is closer to socialism <laughs> than capitalism. All, all these terms, so they convince themselves that they hate one thing, when actually they hate another, where they give themselves one label, not realizing another one is probably more fitting. Um, so most Irish people in general, actually, I wouldn't say they're apolitical, um, but I would say the majority of people are so focused on their families, their jobs, um, their friends and their communities, that actually they would lack the political lingo to really play these political gymnastics that the media like to throw around. It's not just a problem in the US and continental Europe, friends, we've got it here too. 
Um, so that said, on Friday and, and Saturday in particular, I'll be honest, I felt very encouraged by just how understanding um, so many international media sources were once they'd gotten a bit more insight into Irish politics, um, the housing crisis, um, the flooding of illegal immigrants into the country with the help of a complicit anti-Irish government in our own country, who <laughs> you don't have to look very hard to find out that they properly despise the people you live here. Uh, and a number of them were very sympathetic, actually. And they said, listen, we understand it was a horrible situation and a traumatic one to see those children get stabbed. Um, we don't encourage or excuse the looting and the rioting, which I don't either. It was totally wrong. Uh, I would never um, be okay with the destruction of someone's property and livelihood in that way at such a time. Um, but many of them said, listen, we, we disavow the more violent and destructive aspect, but we do appreciate that the nation has finally told its government to wake up and to stop putting Irish people last and um, to put moves in place to protect children, to protect communities. And I thought that was um, that was very thoughtful and uh, sincere, that they were willing to see the nuance behind the um, restlessness that was very, very definitely pervasive in the city on Thursday. Um, the interesting thing, though, is on Wednesday, in my mind's eye, I did see the city on fire. I could feel, almost tangibly, the unrest, the hopelessness, the despair, that this was a city, at least the city centre, on the verge of breaking point. And while it was horrific um, to, to see um, the city on fire, I mean, the capital city, what most people incorrectly, but understandably, um, take to be uh, a picture of the nation at large. Um, so it was, it, it, it was tough, it was heartbreaking. I'm not typically a very emotional guy, but this one got to me. It did, um, most, most sincerely. But the wonderful thing is, God is still absolutely good. And some of you may have heard Ireland uh, referred to as a land of saints and scholars before. That's because when St. Patrick, in particular, he wasn't the first Christian or missionary, but he was the first to do it particularly effectively. Um, when he first came here, um, he and his disciples really introduced the art of writing, writing things down. Um, they would set up, basically, in the 400s AD, the equivalent of universities today. And people from all over the country and all over Europe would travel to Ireland to learn how to read and write and to learn the scriptures. And then they would take that knowledge back to their home countries. Um, we have a wonderful monastic site called Glendalock in County Wicklow. It's a phenomenal place to visit. And it's got two lakes, gorgeous valleys, super scenic. It rains any time I go, but hey, 
we're an island in the Atlantic Ocean. Put a coat on, you'll be grand. <laughs> and uh, they also built like a 100 meter tall round tower where they could um, keep an eye out for the enemy. And uh, if indeed they did see um, kings coming to attack them or raiders or down the line Vikings, um, they had the front door to the tower several feet up so they the community could climb a ladder get into the tower and run upstairs and they'd lift the ladder and they would all be safe. So they were places of protection, um, places like social welfare back in the day, really, um, looking after the sick, the needy, the desperate, the hopeless, and places of learning. They taught literary skills and the word of God and how that it was powerful and effective. Um, even in our islands around the country, we have 80 islands, um, and a number of them, when the Christian leaders or teachers got a bit too tired, they would um, go to those islands off the coast, and they write, so I assume it's true, because why wouldn't it be, um, that they had angelic help in building stone steps, and then they would build little um, hive huts, um, which they would dwell in, get away from the world and society for a little bit, repose, relax, rest in the presence of Almighty God. And when they felt their spirit had been renewed and regenerated and rejuvenated and they'd heard from God and received a vision, then they would come back to the mainland. And even when Europe was going through the Dark Ages, ravaged by war and plague, sickness and disease, and uh, even while the Roman Empire was falling around its ears and the Vandals were arising, that's where we get the word vandalism, um, the Irish were the ones who went around the ancient world and collected the ancient world's texts. And we brought them back here to keep them safe, to protect them, so uh, that the, the ancient writings would not be destroyed, that history would not be erased. Because as... Is often said, those who don't study history are doomed to repeat it. And as the word of God says, there's nothing new under the sun. What has been is, what is will be. Um, and God called the past to account. He makes these things happen again in cycles so that we can see what worked in the past, so that we can overcome our present day challenges. So I look at the gift that God has put, gave to Ireland back then, such a responsibility, such an anointing, such a privilege and an honour to preserve the gospel and the traditional ways, today you might say the conservative ways, um, the freedom-loving ways, and we know that the gifts of God are irrevocable. So the gift of that responsibility that God gave to Ireland all those years ago, it's still here, friends. And that is the Ireland that I still love and believe in. I've been wearing this <laughs> uh, green t-shirt, uh, the From Dublin to Cleveland t-shirt, ever since Thursday. I didn't really know why, per se. I think I was wearing it on Thursday too. You might think that's a bit gross because it's now Sunday. <laughs> but I feel like it's a prophetic statement that I still believe in the absolute best for this country. I still believe that our best days 
are ahead. Um, I believe that what God started all those years ago is not finished, but that he is going to resuscitate this nation. It's going to have a major revival. He's going to bring it to life. And that life-giving power is going to spread all across the world, just like it did all those years ago. Do I think all of that will happen instantaneously? I'll be honest, friends. I actually had envisaged it happening a couple years ago. <laughs> I didn't think we'd still be waiting this late into 2023. But God did give me a vision for what's ahead. And it's okay if, if, if your church hears things like prophetic dreams, visions, prophecies, seer gifts, and thinks, ooh, I don't know about that. Okay, listen, if your pastors have said that, appreciate that in, in, in the realm of, of their congregational authority. But, um, you know, don't, don't, don't assume that something's um, illegitimate or, or not from the Lord just because it's outside of your, your denominations and preferences or the likes. But uh, God did give me um, a vision. And I saw the world... <laughs> absolutely covered in darkness. And next, I saw seagulls, massive, massive seagulls, and in their mouths I saw people. And as the people spoke and sang and worshipped and praised the living God, white light shot out of their mouths. And the next thing, I saw a thunderbolt fall from heaven, light up the earth, and the darkness was penetrated and defeated. And what I believe God is saying for these days is expect the darkness to thicken because the enemy wants the earth. And I believe the enemy, or at least certain demons, are just a bit arrogant and proud enough to believe that they can actually seize it this time for themselves in totality. Even though the word of God very clearly tells us in Second Thessalonians that so long as Holy Spirit is down here and he's in us, the man of lawlessness cannot be revealed. He cannot rise to total prominence. The Antichrist regime cannot be established on the earth, which is incredible. If ever you feel lowly or like you're not doing for Jesus, meditate on that, friends. <laughs> but I believe the enemy is trying. It's why we see war between Russia and Ukraine. It's why um, the, so I say the Philistines, it's probably true, uh, the Palestinian um, terrorist group, Hamas, attacked Israel when they did. Um, this attack in, in Dublin Obviously, the U.S. has all manner of years-long planned um, problems as well right now um, from well, the Democrats first and foremost, but also a lot of fake opposition, the Republican side. And I know we have a lot of international listeners as well from African countries and uh, other European countries in particular. And uh, I, I'm in no way ignorant of the challenges you're all facing too. I know that in terms of 
um, grievances and hardship. It, it's global. I completely understand that. But I believe that with the sea eagles, God is saying those who can see are very important in these days. Dreamers, visionaries, prophets, seers, revelators. God's going to be speaking. He has been, and he is, and I will continue. He's going to be speaking to a lot of people, and maybe unexpected people. Maybe people you hadn't really heard of before, or people you'd, you'd brushed off, or had been told not to trust. And listen, no matter what you hear, compare the word of God, first and foremost. But I believe that those who have eyes to see, ears to hear, and hearts to know and understand are going to be used by God very mightily in these days. And the people in their mouths, they're the people who hearken to the word of God, who hear the word of God and say, yeah, okay, God, I believe it, I receive it. And as they pray, as they declare, as they praise, as they worship, Jets of light are going to fly out of the mouths and penetrate the darkness. Because the spirit of life is in the word. And we know that God is light, and God is spirit, and God is fire. We see with the two witnesses, even in Revelation, when they speak, <laughs> fire comes out of their mouths. They can breathe fire. So in the breath, there is such power and authority. <clears throat> And then the lightning bolt. <laughs> well, that's how Jesus booted Satan out of heaven the first time, isn't it? I saw Satan fall like lightning. And I believe that Jesus is going to do something so mighty, amazing, and powerful on the earth. It is going to light up the world with his goodness, his glory, his hope, his resurrection power, his life-giving power, his dunamis dynamite power. And the world is going to see that there is a God who loves them, who died for them, who's offering them salvation, a free ticket to heaven, eternity with him, and his name is Jesus Christ. And guys, that is worth holding on for. It's worth overcoming. It's worth um, enduring. And it's going to take perseverance and long-suffering, and it already has, and like the fact that you're still here, still trusting God, still listening to his voice, still um, supporting Christian podcast channels, still going to your church, still sharing your faith with others, you are doing so well. You really, really are. You're making a bigger impact than you could possibly imagine. You're making an impression in the earth for Jesus in these days. It's like Tesco, one of our big supermarket chains, their motto is, every little helps. <laughs> because it's not little, it is mighty, it is faith, and faith is the currency of heaven. So hang in there, you're doing great. And when you hear the word of God, share it. Share it with everyone you know. Spread hope, um, bravery, like courage arise wherever you um, put your feet. And I believe that these days, ugly, hard, in some cases bloody and destructive though they are, will be like dust compared to 
the new world that's coming. And I'm not even talking about heaven. I'm talking about our turn around God, doing what he does best, bringing the dead to life, saving the lost, finding those who need a savior, and by the power of the Holy Spirit, revealing Jesus Christ as their Lord and savior. God's going to bring in so many people into the body of Christ. Some of those people, you'll be shocked. <laughs> you'll think, God, I thought they were like unsavable. <laughs> but uh, he's the foolish things of this world to confound the wise. Well, those wise in their own eyes anyway. And I believe that a major move of justice and correction is on the way. So take a stand for your God, take a stand for your nation today and say, God, I will be found in that number. The dark days that have been, that is not the end. That is not the reputation that my nation will have forever. No, no, we stand for better. We don't settle for large abortion numbers, large gay marriage numbers large rape numbers, large human trafficking numbers, large violent crime numbers, large murder numbers. No, no, we stand on the God, on the Lord's report, on God's report. And what does God see when he looks at your nation? He sees that he has plans for it, plans for good, to give it a hope and a future, good, perfect, pleasing plans plans to turn it around, to work every evil thing for good. Because when he sent a spirit and a soul from himself to that tiny dot of flesh upon your conception, and that's for Christians and non-Christians, <laughs> although non-Christians don't walk in their purpose, <laughs> it was to be part of the workmanship of Christ to complete works that he had on the earth for you to complete today. You're not an accident. You're not a mistake. You're here on purpose. You're here on God's timing, on God's clock. And the challenges you're facing and the difficulties your nation is facing, the things that make you cry, the things that just break your heart. You were not sent here to the earth to be a passerby, to live miserably, broken-hearted, disgusted that the world or the nation or the continent or the town or the village or big or small you want to see it was lost in your time. No, you were sent here to be part of the solution. And by the power of Holy Spirit living inside of you, you can be. So say, Holy Spirit, Show me how. Show me how to be part of the solution. I don't want to do it my own strength. I don't want to do it if you're not going in there with me. Because <laughs> without you, I can't do anything. But your will, your way, not by might, not by power, but by the Spirit of the Most High God who has chosen to live in me. Amen, amen, amen. So guys, I know that was a bit of a scattered one <laughs> today. Um, it's probably a picture of where my head is, or at least has been. But uh, I do hope that you, you heard my heart behind what I shared today.
uh, that you gleaned um, some. Um, where am I even going with this sentence? <laughs> some insight that perhaps you hadn't heard before, didn't know. And uh, I, I could go on, I could start naming and shaming certain political individuals, but that's maybe that's for a future video or one-to-one -one conversations that are going to burn you too much. I, I feel like I've said everything God had for me to say. So, uh, yeah, I gave Logan the, the day off just so I could um, share about Dublin in particular, just in case I burst out crying, you know. <laughs> but <laughs> now nah, we'll both be back in episode 103 with uh, hopefully happier, lighter content and uh, hopefully some positive stories on the Dublin front as well. Okay, God bless each and every one of you. Thanks for listening. It is almost midnight. Actually, it is one past midnight, and I was convinced I would go to bed at 11 p.m. Shame on me. But I just wanted to carve out some time with you uh, while, I, while I had it. Good night, friends. Goodbye. God bless. See you in episode 103.